harness racing legend Gavin Lang is one of only two race drivers in the history of the sport in this country to pass the magical 6,000-win milestone. Chris Alford got there first in May of 2017. Gavin was only two months behind him. Gav now has about 6,150 wins to his credit, and to emphasise the enormity of the achievement, let me draw a comparison with jockey Robert Thompson, who's ridden more winners than any jockey in Australian racing history. Robert is about a year older than Gavin Lang. He's somewhere around 4,380 wins at the end of October. Gavin doesn't know how many Group 1 races he's won. Some say it's getting close to 100. But it is commonly suggested that he's driven more top horses than any other driver, and it's hard to argue with that theory. When you talk to an achiever like Gavin Lang, it's hard to know where to start and where to finish. I think we'll just play it by ear. Gav, it's lovely to have you on the podcast. Thanks very much, John. Gavin, the most interesting thing about your career currently is the fact that you're training again after a break of about 10 years, and haven't you had a good little trot? (laughs) Yeah, no, you're right there, and sort of... Uh, yeah, it was sort of uh, enforced uh, that I had a semi-retirement there for a while. Uh, previous marriage broke down, sold the farm and so on. So, uh, yeah, walked away from the training side of things for a while. And But uh, with a bit of pressure from um, childhood friends and um, what have you, uh, owners, long-time owners that now are good friends, uh bit of pressure made me take up the reins again as a trainer and um, as you alluded to, yes, we've uh, had a pretty good run since we've um, in the last six months, so uh, it's been good. Gav, the life of a top driver, freelance driver, is very different to the life of a trainer driver. I mean, the top driver drives himself to the track, he strides to the driver's room, he puts his white pants on, walks out, jumps in the cart and he lets somebody else worry about the horse. Yeah, indeed. Um, And, you know, I went to the States back in about 95, I think, and um, sort of opened my eyes up a little bit there. Uh, Over there they have professional drivers, professional trainers, professional owners, and but in Australia, it's uh, the opposite. We try to do everything, and I've been no different in my time. But uh, having spent a little bit of time just as a driver, I must say, um, yeah, it's uh, a better lifestyle. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but um, you know, I'm at the uh, at the other end of the spectrum now, where um, I don't get the outside drives as I used to, and. Um, Hence, another reason why I'm back in the training ranks. But um, mm. being a professional driver, yes, there is uh, something in it. Uh, I mean, that I could, uh, if I had me time over again, would I be a trainer driver? Probably not. I'd uh, choose to be a driver, uh, I would say. I can't imagine the miles you've travelled around Victoria to accumulate 6,150 wins. It's without a doubt the toughest part of the job, isn't it? Gosh, you've had some late nights. Uh, too true. Uh, Victoria, I think, um, you know, was sort of 26 uh, tracks throughout the state. And, uh, yes, there has been a lot of miles over the years. Uh, 
probably wouldn't change anything if I had me time over again. Um, you know, I, I remember one time, for example, driving from my base in Melton to Hamilton, which was three hours away, and mm. uh, had three drives there in the first five races, which all won. And then I drove from Hamilton to the north to the north of the state to Mildura, mm. um, drove in the first three races there, which was the only drives I had on the night, and um, that was some four and a half hours away, which all saluted as well, and then uh, returned home that night, uh, got back home at five o'clock in the morning, so uh, mm. a lot of miles, but like I say, I don't think I'd change much. Gav, you were born into a family that was already well established in the game. Your dad, Graham, was a big name when you were a toddler. In fact, he probably had his best years when you were growing up. Do you recall your dad pushing you to follow in his footsteps or did he let you make the decision? Um, well, for a start, I, I do remember well, um, you know, how good a driver and trainer my dad was uh, back in his years, a uh, great horseman as uh, – those of that generation were and uh did he push me uh, i'm not so sure about that um it was it was expected that before uh my brother chris and i went to school that we uh got up and went out and dad had 12 boxes at the time our job was to clean the boxes before we got on the bus and went to school and mm. i'd do eight and chris would do four <laughs> um so and then we'd get home from school and we'd have our chores to do, you know, cleaning gear for the races next day, feeding up and et cetera. Uh, yeah. We both probably got in the cart when we were probably around seven or eight years of age and um, it just snowballed from there and um, I've probably never really uh, wanted to do anything else. And, um, yeah, so I don't know that he pushed me as much. No. Kev, I've got to ask you one question on a mathematical front. You did eight boxes and Chris did four. <laughs> Why not six each? Oh, well, Chris was always a bit smarter than me and nothing's changed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dearie me. Yeah. It's hard yeah. to believe a driver who's won 6,150 races drove only three winners in his first season and eight in his second yeah, well, that was a bit like that was back in those days, you know. Um, I mean, well, for a start, nowadays, you know, we have junior driver concessions and so on. Back then, that I mean, they never even thought of those sort of things back then. So uh, it was very hard to uh, get a drive for a start, and I was I was lucky that I worked for my dad, who was, uh, as we alluded to before, uh, already um, a top top-notch driver and so yeah the first season only three winners um i don't know how many drives it took me to accumulate that it took me eight drives to win my first race but um mm -hmm. yeah so it was very hard to get established and um what have you and there wasn't the the bulk of racing back then i mean they even used to not race um the showgrounds which was our metro track at the time it, it used to close down for two or three months of the year um, for the Royal Show, etc. And, um, you know, three meetings a week maybe um, was sort of the norm back then. So, uh, yeah, uh, I, 
look at what the juniors have available to them nowadays and um you know i sort of um you you know you sort of think back and say well geez you know uh these kids they're just getting you know a free kick uh by the authorities you know invoking these uh mm. junior drivers races and concessions for them and if uh, if they're good enough well then um yeah they're going to make uh the C. Alfords and um, myself, for example, uh, in years to come because of the, the start they've had. Mm. Gav, I'm glad you mentioned the Melbourne Showgrounds, which was the home, the headquarters of harness racing in that city for so long. Now, I'm, I'm delighted that you got to drive on the old track because there aren't many left uh, that had that experience and, Gav, I'd like you to try and explain to younger people listening to this podcast what it was like, the electricity of the atmosphere, that tiny little track, huge crowds, and people could reach across the fence and touch you virtually. Yeah, okay. Um, no, I vividly remember them days. Um, I mean, for a start, um, I was sort of young and... Um, Watching every race wasn't, uh, you know, important, but, um, you know, you could, the track was 600 metres, you could walk around the the perimeter of the track and, um, uh, you know, they had what they called the Mitchell stand, which was in the back straight and in the front straight they had the Hunter stand and, you know, those stands used to be packed. There'd, there'd be bookmakers on, on the Hunter Cup side, which was the main ring, there'd be 30 or 40 bookmakers. The Mitchell stand would hold 15 or 20. And, you know, just to be able to stand there on the outside fence. And when when you're a little kid and you're four foot nothing, um, you know, you'd squeeze up there amongst the people and you'd get right up on the fence. And, I mean, there, was, there wasn't a better feeling. And... Uh, to watch those races back then, I mean, we're talking 600-metre track and um, uh, standing starts, 14 horses, um, you know, I mean, the kids of nowadays, they don't know how good they've got it uh, compared to what uh, was the norm back in those days, big fields, small tracks, running rails, uh you know, it was it was a great it was a, it was a great era. I'm sure of that. And um, uh, the showgrounds, um, yeah, uh, it would have been great to have possibly been able to extend that track, uh, maybe to eight or nine hundred back in those days. Yeah, and Instead, stay there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly right. Because I mean, mm. there's no doubt that. Um, you know, I mean, we've got a lot of great tracks nowadays, but, you know, a lot of them are inside thoroughbred tracks and the atmosphere is nowhere near the same. And And I remember probably the first Inter-Dominion I remember was when Bold David won and um, I think I was about 12 or 13 at the time and, mm. you know, I had to – I couldn't see the race, the, the I mean – there were so many people there and I had to climb up this fence um, and I had to hang from the top of the fence so that I could watch the race and, um, mm. you know, it was just amazing um, back in them days. Uh, and like I say, those tracks were the norm. Um, the 
activities outside of racing, whether it be thoroughbreds or harness racing, weren't as big as they are nowadays. And um, it used to be where people used to migrate on a Saturday was to uh, the Melbourne showgrounds. Mm. Gav, I'm just looking ahead at the questions I want to ask you and looking at the timepiece at the same time. So, mate, we'll just roll along a bit here. Let me throw a few names at you. I talked about the list of top horses you've driven. I'm trying to pick a couple that I feel might be your personal favourites. True Roman was a trotter. He won 71 races in all. You drove him 60 times to win. You were in in your 20s then. He must have been a hell of a horse. Yeah, well, we could. You could probably say that he was probably the horse that really put me on the map. Um, from a two-year-old, he raced from a two-year-old to twelve-year-old. He won numerous Group One races and Classic races. Competed in Auckland in the Row Cup. So, uh, yeah, it was a great horse for me, and um, yeah, fond memories of that one. We're going to pause for a moment on the podcast. Gav, a quick break, and then we'll be back. It's good times all round at harness racing across New South Wales as the state's finest horses and drivers go wheel to wheel. With something for everyone, a trip to the trots is the perfect place to take family and friends. It's easy, affordable and action-packed, so get down to your local track and experience it firsthand. Get all the info at harnessmediacentre.com.au and we'll see you at the track for good times all round. Special guest on the podcast is champion harness driver Gavin Lang. 6,150 career winners and many, many top horses. Persistency, Gav, is one that I feel you might have a special place in your heart for. Uh, he raced yeah. 72 times. He won 27 of them. I think you drove him in 24 or 25 of those. And correct me if I'm wrong, did he win 15 straight at one stage? Uh, I think 12. Um, Was it? Yes. He's uh, a three-year-old and four-year-old. Um, yeah, and I mean, had him from a yearling and – to a nine-year-old, had numerous injuries throughout his time, and I'm sure that, uh, um, you know, that if he hadn't have had so many injuries that that he could have been, you know, a very, very good horse and maybe one of the best I'd ever had, uh, half a million dollar earner, but, uh, and owned by uh, mum and dad and uh, some family friends, so yes, was a great horse for us. You got to drive the famous trotting mare, Scotch Notch, six or seven times in her career when your dad was unavailable. She won 47 races in this country, two Inter-Dominion finals. At one time, she was the fastest trotting mare in the world. Now, you once said she is the best horse you've ever driven, trotter or pacer. Does that still apply? Well, I I mean... I think so, simply because, you know, of what she was able to do here prior to uh, heading um, to the Northern Hemisphere and then she had achieved just as much there in a short period of time. I mean, I've been fortunate to have been involved with a lot of great horses that were, that people would say were probably head and shoulders above her in their career, but I drove them at various times and... But I would, I'm happy to say that Poplar Realm's probably the, uh, Poplar Realm, 
Maori's idol is probably the greatest trotter I've seen, but uh, this little mare runs a close second to him. Yes. Well, Gav, you drove so many great horses on isolated occasions. I'll just whip through them quickly. We won't uh, elaborate too much. But you drove Golden Rain, you drove Smooth Satin, Double Identity, Hyperstat, Vanderport, Franco Tiger, Hector JJ, Guaranteed, Captain Joy, Philadelphia Man, Manifold Bay, The Sentry, Strike Me Pink. Um, there wouldn't be a driver alive who, who wouldn't have given their, uh, their left arm to drive any one of them. You grew yeah. up in an era of top drivers too in Victoria. And again, I'm, I'm just trying to isolate your feelings about horses and drivers. I, I just feel in conversation with you that Ted Demler and Brian Gath were two of your heroes. Definitely. Um, you know, I was, used to watch them and uh, I was Ted Demler, I mean, who went on to be a world driving champion driver. Uh, for mine, um, you know, he wasn't the best driver I ever saw, but he was the ultimate professional and um, uh, achieved what he achieved through uh, hard work and persistence. Big Ath, uh, you know, very untidy in the cart compared to what we're used to nowadays, uh, but he uh, he was a great driver and, um, you know, a desperate man and, uh, yeah, but, you know, I can remember as a kid growing up just sitting in the grandstand and Big Ath was one that I uh, used to watch a hell of a lot. I don't know that Mr Gath will fancy <laughs> <laughs> being described as untidy in the cut. Uh, I think uh, I think if we all look back uh, in the past now and uh, view some of the footage of uh, what we were like uh, back in our home days, I think we'd probably all be a little bit embarrassed by what we look at. <laughs> Gav, you've won three Inter-Dominion trotting grand finals, True Roman, Game Bid, and a terrific mare called Something About Maori, who won the big one at Mooney Valley when trained by Brian Healy. He also trained the great Maori's idol, didn't he? He did, Yeah, him and his father, Rick, uh, they did. They, uh, they had a great uh, breed of horse, and, um, yeah, Something About Maori, that was uh, a great night, um, Mooney Valley, uh, and let's say it was a longer night after Mooney Valley had closed. Mm. Gav, no Pacers Inter-Dominion Grand Finals. I don't know how no. many heats you've won. You must have won 10 heats or more. Does yes. that get up your nose? Um, a little bit, um, but, I mean, it all comes down to, uh, I mean, opportunity, I suppose, and I know that I have had the chance in my time, but uh, only ever did I drive one real winning hope, and that was probably... Uh, Auckland reactor, but he took charge of me, and uh, mm. yeah, I'll probably uh, probably more infamous for the fact that I uh, probably cost Blacks a fake winning a fifth in the Dominion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you've, you've been close to giving it away only once. One of your horses returned a positive to an anabolic steroid. You were yes. distraught. You were disillusioned. You were very upset. When you got twelve months, yeah. Well, you know, um, back in those days, um, you know, steroids and anabolics were 
still about and um uh yeah one of my horses uh returned uh well in the vet's words that if it had have been the next day that it wouldn't have been in its system but uh it was and that's history now and um yeah no i did i uh got 12 months uh so i had a clearing sale sold everything um from trucks to harness and everything and uh uh yeah took 12 months off but um in that time um i had a young daughter who was i think about two or three at the time so that was a blessing in that regard i saw her grow up and spend plenty of time with her and uh but as the 12 months went on um yeah, I sort of got a little bit keener and keener and thought, well, you know, uh, I had really missed it. And um, so, yes, uh, when my time was up, uh, couldn't get me licence back quick enough. Yeah. About 10 years ago, you were driving home from Yarra Valley after having had one drive in the last race and you'd had a hectic week. You'd been everywhere. I think you'd been in Hobart uh, a day or two earlier. You knew something was wrong with you. Now, you battled on for another two or three days, but you should have been in hospital. Yeah, well, you know, the the signs were there. Uh, Hobart on the Sunday night and um, drove a couple of winners there and then out for dinner after and then first one back to bed, which was a bit unusual for me. And then <laughs> the next day, returned back to Victoria, went to Yarra Valley, had one drive, which duly won. And... Um, yeah, I was had the heater on um, in November on the way home, which is, uh, I know Victoria can get cold, but it's warm that time of the year, and then went to the trials the next day on the Tuesday and had two of my own runners there and wasn't that pleased with their efforts. Uh, rang the owners on the way home and said, I don't want these horses no more, and which was mm, a bit hasty like on... Mm. No, no, a bit uh, out of the norm. But um, and then on the Wednesday, a neighbour come and visited, and uh, he had his shorts and a t-shirt on, and I had long pants and a coat. And he said to me, he said, mm. "Are you sick or something?" And I said, "No, I'm fine." I said, "You must be sick. You've got the shorts on." And he said, "It's he said it's warm." But mm. that afternoon, uh, my wife drove me to the hospital where I had a temperature of uh, forty, and um, so they admitted me and. That's where I spent the next 10 days on my back, sort of oblivious to what was going on. and uh, Exhaustive this, testing. Well, probably uh, that what it was in the end was that, um, you know, uh, this, my staple diet probably back in them days was no breakfast uh, in the morning and then rush off to the races and have a few beers and a bag of cold and chips on the way home. Not uh, <laughs> not ideal in this no. uh, to what we're used to nowadays. So uh, probably yeah. uh, brought it upon myself to some degree because uh, they couldn't uh, come up with um, any reason why I was no. sick. Just uh, you still just don't I was, know. Yeah. You dropped about no, still, yeah, yeah. You dropped about ten kilos in weight. Yes. You were as light as a cork. Yes, you know, I was down to, uh, I went from sort of 70 kilos to 60 and, um, yeah, it wasn't well. But anyway, uh, got through all that now. Yeah, but Gav, they still don't know. There, there was true. no medical conclusion, was there? No, no, uh, there wasn't. Um, MRIs, CAT scans, you name it, and numerous blood tests, uh, 
continuous high temperatures uh, over 40, and uh, but yet, uh, mm. no, there was never any uh, evidence as to exactly what was causing it all. But, uh, yeah, I've been uh, better for it since, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, you won't let it happen again. Uh, no, I think it's uh, one way your body tells you uh, that you need to rest and you need to uh, listen to uh, what your body's telling you. When you drive 6,150 winners, you've got to be doing something right. Now, I'd like to analyse a couple of aspects of your driving style that might explain your extraordinary achievements. Now, rather than embarrass you by telling you that I think you're the best driver I've ever seen, let me simply say, point one, your patience is one of your strongest points. In the famous words of Rudyard Kipling, you keep your head when all about you are losing theirs. Mm. Yeah, uh, that's probably my upbringing. Um, my career was uh, of driving started off driving, you know, what you'd probably refer to second-rate horses, and uh, I had no option but to park them away on the fence and uh, hope that they could keep up at the finish. And um, I'm sure that that had a big bearing on, um, yeah, the, the style that I did adopt uh, in my formative years. The other art you've mastered is to get going at exactly the right time. Some go too early, Gav, and some mm -hmm. go too late, but you yeah. always seem to go at the right moment. Yeah, well, uh, I trained back in my early days when I was a trainer. I trained for a lot of punters and bookmakers and uh, I've become a very keen student of form because it was imperative that uh, that I got it right more times than not and um, yes, uh, was well aware of the opposition and uh, we had no sprint lanes back then so tactics played a big part in winning and losing and you know, uh, yes, uh, I'm sure that that was what... Um, was another thing that I knew where the winning post was and, um, you know, I, I drove my horses to their ability and um, summed up the race fairly quickly and, you know, you've got to be a good judge of speed. Um, you alluded to the fact before that I had 12 months out of the industry. One of the hardest things that I found to uh, reconnect with when I got back to driving was the timing clock in my head, but eventually that came back and I'm sure that it's important for to be, if you're going to be a good driver is to know when to and when not to take off in races. Owners and trainers love the fact that you don't knock horses around. You've never been a punishing driver. You like to leave them with a horse for next week. Yeah, well, given that I've grown up with horses, I have a great respect for the animal. It's not just um, all about the money, you know, when I drive horses and uh, I uh, have uh, great respect for all the trainers uh, that um, have to take that horse home from the track and, you know, get it over that run and get it ready for the next one. So, um, yes, uh I have been, don't worry, uh, criticised a lot for being a bit that way through my time and had to sack off many a good horse for putting the horse first rather than 
driving the horse to suit the race. Um, you know, I've probably been guilty of driving the race to suit the horse in the past, and um, that can be undoing sometimes. And and I'm sure times have changed now. But uh, yeah, as I said before, there's not much I would have changed in my time. Gav, it's been very, very pleasing and gratifying to see your brother Chris back in action again. He too succumbed to an illness a few years ago, which was diagnosed. He knew exactly where he was at, but he gave it away completely. Um, He must be feeling a heck of a lot better because he recently announced a return to the training of trotting horses, which he loves. Yeah, too true. Um, Yeah, uh, he's been back at the trials now because under the rules you have to have 20 drives, I think, to uh, get get your licence back again uh, to drive in races and people who have seen him, I haven't seen him at the trials, but people who have been uh, at the trials have said to him, have said to me that he's very keen and um, he's happy to be back in it out of his, uh, you know, since he's been back and, you know, uh, like most people, that get out of harness racing it seems to be in their blood and yeah it's not long before they're back and he's no different and your dad graham or daddy lang as he is so affectionately known throughout the industry mm-hmm. well in his 80s now he still has a few in work and i hope he's there for a long long time to come <laughs> yeah no he is he's doing dad and mum are both doing very well and uh yeah still mucks around with a couple of horses and um yeah, still enjoys them immensely, and he's had a great run with um, horses like Save Our Pennies, Franco Tristan, um, in the last six months. So, uh, yeah, he still loves getting to the trots and catching up with people, and, um, yeah, people love seeing him too because uh, people of his era, there's uh, not a lot of them left anymore, and uh, they're a wealth of knowledge to uh, any young person coming along. Gav, as we mentioned at the top of the interview, you're training again. You've got about 12 in work, and your wife, Megan, is giving you a lot of help and a lot of support. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, she uh, she wasn't born into the industry like I was, and uh, we've only been together now for near on 10 years. And, um, yeah, she's taken, taken to the training caper like a duck to water and uh, enjoys it, uh, likes the horses and uh, has made a lot of friends in the industry, which is uh, good to see. And, um, no, we uh, we don't intend doing it forever, but um, for the short term, um, yep, we're making a good fist of it. And, uh, we're a good team. Now, Gav, I hope uh, it's okay to make this official. You're turning 60 pretty soon. Uh, yeah, that's definitely right. Um, there would have been time when I thought 60 was old, but um, not anymore. Uh, I sort of still feel pretty competitive um, as far as the driving ranks go and, uh, yeah, still enjoy it very much. So, um, um, yeah, how much longer I continue, I don't say I'll be doing it like uh, my dad was when he was in his 80s, but... Um, yeah, I've got no no plans on stopping just yet, but um, yeah, uh, one thing the 12 months out of the system did teach me was that um, 
there is more to life than harness racing. It's a big world out there. I've explored very little of it, and the time will come before I get too old that I want to see some more of it. So, uh, yeah, I'll be putting my hand up at some stage. Well, Gavin, I started calling the trots at Harold Park for the Macquarie Network in 1968. So I have seen a few races. And uh, at the the risk of embarrassing you as we close our interview, you're the best I've seen. Yeah, well, uh, everybody's got their favourites, John. I've uh, been around this industry long enough to know that. And um, no, no, I'm – I've – and, I mean, one thing I probably um, have been guilty of in my time is – probably not really sitting back and analysing what I have achieved, but um, I've sort of come to learn that um, it's not the last winner I worry about, it's the next one. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, pleased to hear you say that and uh, because um, people of your era have uh, been around a long time and seen a lot of great drivers. So, uh, yes, um, happy to hear it, but a um, little bit embarrassed, but, um, yeah. Like I say, everybody's entitled to their opinion. That's good, mate. I wanted to embarrass you. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. Gavin, thanks for your time. A delight to have you on the podcast and we'll talk again one day. Great. Thanks very much, Gabby. The one and only Gavin Lang and this podcast has been produced by Supernova South. It's good times all round at harness racing across New South Wales as the state's finest horses and drivers go wheel to wheel. With something for everyone, a trip to the trots is the perfect place to take family and friends. It's easy, affordable and action-packed, so get down to your local track and experience it firsthand. Get all the info at harnessmediacentre.com.au and we'll see you at the track for good times all round.